Abu Dhabi? Abu done it. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello, welcome back to F1 In Review. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. A week and a bit has passed since the um, Grand Prix took place. But nonetheless, we're here to assess what happened and discuss what the ramifications are now that the dust has settled, the Twitter X. Uh, armies have calmed down and, and people have got their act together. The drivers have gone off for their winter holidays doing skiing and water skiing and lounging in the sun from what I can gather online. Um, and we're here to sort of mop up after the, um, the F1 circus has died down. And really, I think the whole of the last race was dominated by one fight. Uh, the jewel in the desert this week year was the Mercedes versus Ferrari fight, which really came down to the wire. Um, it, it could have gone either way in the end. I think last time we spoke, we said, well, if anyone gets a DNF, it'll be, that'll be it. It will be going to the other team, the ones that didn't get that DNF. But luckily, they both teams sort of put up their best fight. Both I'd say all the drivers did their absolute best. And in the end, if you haven't seen, spoiler alert, Mercedes ended up coming second in the constructive standings um, with 409 points to Ferrari's 406. Now, that's not to say that Charles Leclerc didn't give it his absolute best shot at trying to take it away from Mercedes. Because after what is a pretty disappointing qualifying for Mercedes... It really could have gone the other way. Charles Leclerc ended up qualifying in second. Carlos Sainz, unfortunately, was down in 16th. But with Lewis Hamilton in 11th and George Russell only in fourth, it did look like sort of advantage was heading over to Ferrari if if Russell couldn't get his act together. But we seem to get sort of drives for their, their lives in this end race, um, which saw Charles Leclerc coming in second. And... Um, George Russell ending up in third place. So that summary there doesn't give that race credit. I would, if you haven't seen it, go back. I would implore you, go back and watch the race. It was actually very, very interesting. Um, some of the last minute ditch tactics from Charles Clare. Angus, what do you think? Was it was it fair? Do you think are you are you pleased with Mercedes in, in second place? Was it fair for Charles Leclerc? Uh, you know, not to be able to clinch that for Ferrari and. Out of the two, right, with Charles Leclerc, George Russell, both driving for absolutely everything they had on the day, who do you think gave the better performance, if either of them? I think that Leclerc had a pretty storming weekend. I think he's had a very storming end to the season, hasn't he, with this good qualifying run. 
the fact that him and Verstappen shared the final five front rows of the season, and the fact that Leclerc got pole in three of those, was very impressive. He sort of that that maverick speed that we know he has kind of returned in the latter part of the season. Um, and if you look at it overall, I'd say that he had a better weekend. I was impressed by Russell. I think Russell's had a poor year. I think he's admitted that himself. And the fact that the race in Abu Dhabi was only his second podium of the year when Hamilton has, what, six or seven podiums in total shows the, a bit of a difference between those two drivers so far this year. Um, I think Leclerc... It's, it's interesting, isn't it? We say Leclerc did a better job, but then obviously he didn't quite nail down uh, second place for Ferrari. I would have loved to have seen... The, the sneaky part of me would have loved to have seen Leclerc back into Russell for that those last few laps to uh, try and really push him down and get that five-second penalty advantage for Perez. Um, it's just like we saw Perez blocking Hamilton in Abu Dhabi two years ago, which contributed to helping Verstappen win the championship. Or, I don't know if you remember, throwing it right back to 2016 when you had Hamilton who knew that he needed Rosberg to finish fourth or lower to w- for him to win the championship. So, on the last couple of laps, he backed off the field, so it was the top four all line astern. Didn't work in the end. Yeah, but I exactly. would have loved for something similar. That one was weird though, because I always, I always think that Vettel didn't get past on purpose because it was Rosberg backing Hamilton up into Vettel, and I, I watched it back a few weeks ago actually, and I don't know. I think, I think Vettel stayed behind. I don't know if that's a bit of a that's like a hot take six years later, but um, so but yeah, um, it did kind of feel like that, didn't it? Yeah, on that day, um, because of the backing up that happened, those top four were separated by one point six seconds at the line, and you're right. I think that I, I do remember Vettel almost not having a go into uh, the final corners, simply out almost out of principle, like he knew the situation himself and he knew that it would have been unfair for. Rosberg to lose out in such a scenario but if you look at it in the grand scheme of things I think that whilst it's fun it w- it might have been I think you would have had a lot of people complaining wouldn't you if that ended if the championship have ended that way with a position change happening because of an event such as that however you just still get a good fight you got a you got a race actually where there was lots of different things going on Lots of different battles. It was quite an, one of the more interesting Abu Dhabi races I have watched in my lifetime, I'm willing to admit. Especially with the battle for second and third kind of framed the whole race whilst Mr. Verstappen cruised along at the front, 18 seconds clear, just doing his own thing. <laughs> as usual. But um, he's, by the way, just he's casually, after, after having his record-breaking win streak broken, he's just casually racked up seven wins in a row again at the end of the year without us even noticing, without breaking sweat. But, um... Yeah, Red, Red Bull clear, but then, and as proven as well by Perez coming back through the field into an eventual fourth because of his penalty. What did you think of the penalty, by the way? Did you think it was a fair one? I thought you you probably would say it was a fair one as a as a McLaren fan yourself, but I think on a, maybe from an impartial point of from an impartial <laughs> from an impartial point of view, I'd say that it was probably a penalty because he did kind of do that thing where you go into the corner don't steer enough so that your rival is pushed out wide it wasn't fa- it wouldn't have been fair i don't think if that had been allowed to allowed to stand in paris's favor oh it's look, it's a really difficult one um i don't know G- genuinely this it, 
This is such a hard one because, Im- look, uh, yes, okay, I, it's going to be hard to be impartial. I, I do think the penalty was justified, but that's not to say it was right, right? So I feel like the FIA stewards presented their argument in a in a way that was relatively compelling. But I think the next question is, right, so is that then enough or do we need to change the rules slightly or, or what? I feel like the, the reasoning behind the, the penalty made sense. They felt that Perez wasn't in control of the car. They felt that he basically plowed into the side um, of the McLaren and therefore he was at fault and then he got a penalty. And I mean, in fairness, a five second penalty is the minimum penalty they can give. Um, and it was the fact that he was kind of out of control that they say that you know, gives him the penalty. Um, the problem is, is that's gonna that's always going to be very, very. It's going to be down to interpretation. It's going to be very personal. Some stewards will be sitting there thinking, "I don't think it was a penalty." I believe um, commentators like Martin Rundle didn't want it to be a penalty. But the thing is, it's pretty consistent with what we've seen as well from Perez and in terms of Perez's penalties. Don't forget that Perez has done this multiple times now. And it seems to be that his trademark is lunge it in and hope for the best. I mean, it's kind of what ruined him in Mexico. And I I just can't help but think, would would he have got past if he had just been a bit more strategic? Probably. He did have the pace advantage over the, the McLaren and that Red Bull, you know, shouldn't, you shouldn't need to do that. So, yeah, to be honest, I feel like basically he was given enough room. He failed to stop in time. He hit the back or hit the side, the McLaren and then got penalty. And that was it. I mean, in, in the great scheme of things, it was kind of no harm done because, um, you know, Norris was fine. But it's the principle. And I and if you can't take as everyone keeps telling me, it's not the outcome that matters. So it doesn't matter that Norris was fine, right? It's it, but the fact was he was out of control. He did cause a collision, and so that's it really. It was a penalty. I can see a hundred percent see why others think the other way, and that's why this one is so difficult. Because if I was making the decision, I probably wouldn't have given it. If I'm going to be honest, I probably would have put it down to. Hard racing on a difficult track, you know, they, 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 it was the longest um, time difference between uh, the last race in Las Vegas and then Abu Dhabi. So the drivers are shattered. It's a hard race. You know, it, it just it, these things do happen with drivers that are putting everything on the line. So I probably wouldn't have given it, but I felt like the penalty was justified that I can see why it was and therefore I wasn't too frustrated by it. Um, but the ramifications of that penalty were, you know, as you say, pretty significant because it basically meant that George Russell, when he got overtaken by Sergio Perez, knew that he was going to retake Sergio Perez again later on, which put, you know, Charles Leclerc in a very difficult situation where it was his in his best interest to try and get Perez as far away from George Russell as possible. I don't quite follow what um, Leclerc was thinking he could kind of do, because even if Sergio Perez got into second place and got those 18 points, there's only three points between third and fourth. And so he would have had to overcome a, a large delta of points. So 
if if I'm honest, it was some incredible lateral thinking under some in- very difficult scenarios for for Leclerc. But I don't I don't see that strategy having paid off. The it would have been more interesting, I think, if like Sergio Perez had backed Russell up um, into Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri and you know <laughs> to get them forward. But and, like I I thought what it was was an incredible display of team spirit from Leclerc. You know screw my race what do i need to do to to really bring it home and i think ferrari is as well we're in a really difficult position this weekend because with carlos Sainz so out of position they based their strategy was basically run him as long as they can on a a compound tire and then hope there's a safety car and then uh, i get overcut everyone else with that safety car and it was just never gonna work never gonna work well that's not true it does work doesn't it that's why they did it but it was a it was a symptom of the fact that Carlos Sainz did everything he could apparently this weekend to try and lose Ferrari that position. Um, but as it turns out, luck was on Ferrari's side because as it would happen, I think Hamilton was out of form as well, which was a bit weird, do you think? Yeah, I mean, luck was on their side. I run in the end, they didn't quite, didn't quite make it. But yeah, definitely, Ferrari, kind of. Had one hand tied behind their back with the fact that Science one didn't have a great qualifying, but two was nowhere in terms of pace. He really didn't progress that fast through the field, and he didn't manage to take advantage of any potential strategy opportunities. I think Ferrari put basically putting on as long as possible on one tire after the first pit stop was interesting. But then it was, and they were you you could tell they were just hoping for a safety car, almost like they knew his pace wasn't good enough throughout the day, and then. When they didn't get one by the end, they honestly, I forgot, it was missed this in the quali- the coverage, but he retired on the last lap with an engine problem. So once he realised, well, I think he pitted, came out in like 15th, and once he realised he couldn't make the points, he was like, yeah, I'm done. He just finished it off and went went back to the pits. So a very, very much the actual definition of a damp squib for Carlos Sainz in that race. But yeah, Mercedes despite claiming the second, they got lucky that Science had such an off day because Hamilton had a real off weekend because 11th in qualifying, slower than Russell the whole time, couldn't progress that well in the race. Hamilton still finished behind the Alpha Tower at the end of it. He obviously did that massive lunge on Sonoda into that hairpin on the last lap, but then had a had a slippery car, a bit of oversteer, overcooked it, and then had to surrender that eighth place again. Mercedes got lucky but they'll take it I think they'll take it at the end of a year which has not been a good one once again where they've kind of yo-yoed I think all of this year all of Mercedes, Ferrari, McLaren and Aston Martin have yo-yoed between being the second fastest and fifth fastest cars sort of in in that sort of battle obviously some like Mercedes and Ferrari have been able to maintain their form for longer whilst McLaren and Aston Martin have had almost bursts in one half the season so McLaren were awful the first half, but then had a resurgence. Aston Martin were awful in the second half, having had a resurgence of their own leading up to kind of Silverstone time. So that's probably the main story of their seasons, really. Mercedes got lucky in getting that second place, and they had a, again a winless a winless year. I say again a winless year. Hamilton had another winless year, but they've had. Mercedes, ever since Abu Dhabi, with that race happening, they have won, well, that'd be one out of, like, 45 races, which is staggering, but also shows you, 
even though we had all this dominance and we used to when we did the podcast during the Mercedes dominance we were going on about oh I mean please can this end like it's like Hamilton winning all the time please like honestly when is it ever going to end and yet here they are one race win out the last two seasons and now it's saying oh Red Bull please when's it going to end it shows that for all the dominance that teams can have one day it is vulnerable and one day it will crack so Red Bull can end up being the same. It's just Mercedes at the moment have a have a little fallow period, a very fallow period, you could say. But they managed to get that second place, and they'll definitely be hoping that they can go into next season with a better car concept. We know that Hamilton's been complaining that the engineers didn't listen to him with the car concept for this year. So he'll be hoping that they go in next year with the car concept that he likes and one that they can get on well with. Yeah, well, I suspect because we kind of have seen where the wind is blowing, really, um, that Mercedes will come out with a car that's quite similar to the rest um, and the most dominant car. As I said, it's analogous to uh, crustification. I think maybe it's called where everything all, <laughs> or everything turns to crabs. Everything will turn into the Red Bull this year and then there will be a, a rule change and then a team will come up with the best option and everyone will then morph into that. I've just finished actually the Braun series that came out, the the four or three parter, ah. and uh, it was really good actually. I I mean to be fair, it was a bit. I found it a bit odd. I I'm not sure why. Um, I think the I didn't. I, they re- make them recreate some of the scenes, and I couldn't quite take um, Ross Braun acting like Ross Braun. 20 years ago, all serious and so I can quite take it seriously. I don't know, very American. Um, that's what I would say. It was, Ross but it was good. Yeah, I don't know. It was just a bit weird. Like they're making him recreate the signing of the contract. Like, oh, that's a bit cringy. I oh, don't. Oh, you didn't really do that. Oh, you did it. Oh, look, you made our oh, Rubens Barrichello dress up as Rubens Barrichello. You know, 20 years ago. Mm, glad he still fits in his race suit. That's what I will say. Um, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, bless him you just absolutely killed him there yes uh, sorry Rubens Uh, (laughs) um, but my point with that tangent was uh, that you know they came out the gates with a couple of a couple of them had had um, the double diffuser and Braun's one mate they made it work much better but everyone eventually had got the um, the double diffuser and Red Bull sort of came storming up and Vettel thought he could take the championship and as the narrative goes. Um, and it's kind of going to be like that next year. Everyone's going to come out of the gates and and say, ha ha, we've taken the Red Bull design, but we've improved it. We've Mercedified it or Ferrarified it or Alpined it, whatever you'd like. Um, <laughs> and, and as a result, we're going to get basically, I don't know, 10 different versions of the same thing, each trying to perform in different ways because you williams might take the rebel design but think well we still want to be the fastest on the straights and that's what they'll develop into their cars and so I, overall the best team of the year usually is the one that is on average the best and unless it's this year when red bull's just being completely dominant i mean come on winning all but one race that's absolutely insane <laughs> that's so insane um and but to be fair i think if I had to pick between Mercedes and Ferrari, which one was going to end up taking second place in the constructors, I think it was probably going to be Mercedes. I think they were the stronger team this year, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do next year. But unfortunately, time is not on our side as we hurtle through yet another uh, episode of F1 in review. Um, and it's 
it's time to sort of move on from the Ferrari Mercedes shenanigans. We've talked about Perez and his particularly uh, problematic performance. And now it's over to uh, what I think is a very happy topic. And that's your favourite and mine, Williams. Because Williams managed to do the thing that no one thought they were going to do except me. I did. I thought they were going to do it and uh, take the take seventh place in the constructors championship. So, Angus, the the I think the question on everyone's mind is: firstly, is this symptomatic of Williams's future success? And also, with the announcement that Logan Sargent's going to be staying for next year, should they have admitted defeat with Logan Sargent, dumped him, and got someone new in, or is this a case of you know better the uh, better the devil you know? And time to develop an up-and-coming driver. I think that, first of all, let's give you some credit for your bold prediction, which ended up being correct. I'd like yes, to, fair enough. Fair <laughs> that was enough. what that was. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, mate, clap yourself to be fair. I don't blame you because we, none of us saw it coming. We thought that Williams would have another season of struggle. And in reality... Uh, team Alex Albon, sorry, Williams, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, end up in seventh place. Sorry, sorry about that. Well, it kind of was, though, but, wasn't um, it? No, to be fair, they, um, yeah, it was. It was. Logan Sargent had a little bit of a um, uh, sort of upturn coming yeah. into the rest of the season, which was good, which was good. Um, but at the same time, like, it just, he needs to be better next year. I think that them signing Logan for a second year is the easy way out, but then I can also see why they've done it because there's been a lot of driver change, we forget, in Williams over the last couple of years because you had Russell and uh, you used to see over the last six years alone, you had, uh, no, let's, do, let's throw this back, over the last eight years alone, you've had Valtteri Bottas and Felipe Massa, then Massa left, mm-hmm. replaced by Lance Stroll, then Massa left yep. again, Sorry, Ma- left again. Bottas left, Mas- and then Lance Stroll. Massa left, replaced by... Do you remember Sergei Sorokin? What a, what a driver he was. I do. That of. was an unfortunate um, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very unfortunate time. When they, used to, when, they, when they got five points in one season, I think. Then you had George Russell and Robert Kubica for a, for a couple of seasons. Oh, they brought him back. Um, Champion who never was. If you don't know about Robert Kubica... You re- go go look up Robert Kubica and his incredible talent because when he was in Formula One and hadn't had the accident, he was what he was world champion material. Um, it was yep. a shame. Actually, what he would have been a world champion had it not been thrown for his rally accident. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so then Kubica went, Russell went, Nicholas Latifi came in, then Alex Albon came in, and then Logan Sargent. So actually, I don't blame them in some way for having a bit of stability, even if you had the potential of. Mick Schumacher coming back, or the potential of your top two in the F2 championship, so Theo Porcher and Frederick Vesti, who are uh, Sauber and Mercedes Juniors, respectively. It would have been interesting to see one of those two come into the team as well, but I can see why in the end they decided to go with another year of Logan Sargent, because he's had a year. If he doesn't deliver next year, then fair enough for them getting rid of him. It was the same with the Tifi. He kind of had a bit of time to get his feet under the table, but eventually he didn't managed to fully take advantage and he's ended up now in his um in his business uh, masters or whatever he's doing um <laughs> yeah which yeah. is quite a career change but i think that the next 
natural step would have been for Sargent to stay on. So I can see why they've done that. It also means that you've got this unusual statistic, which means, which is that for the first time in F1 history, I believe, there have been no driver changes going from one season to the next because every team is maintaining their lineup, which I hope means absolute carnage and chaos coming at the end of 2024 because, as we've discussed before, a few drivers, namely a couple of Ferraris, um, Lando Norris, I think, is another one, Hamilton, possibly. Contracts are all... Actually, no, not Hamilton. He signed an extension now. But basically, there's a lot of contracts up in the air. Alonso had a, signed a two-year with Aston Martin. So there could be lots of movement or retirement or people leaving to go to another team next year. But this year, it's very quiet, you know, very serene. Everyone knows their drivers going into next season. Unless we have a an unfortunate situation like we did, for example, when Mazepin had to vacate his seat due to the uh, Russia-Ukraine situation. Unless we have something surreal or out out of control event like that then we should have everyone stay at the same team next year so that's why sergeant's been kept on should theoretically do better next year williams as well should theoretically do better next year they've been obviously progressing up to seventh this year you we were watching that closely in the last race with seeing if sonoda and ricardo could get the points to overtake williams because williams realistically weren't very weren't really with it in Abu Dhabi, whilst Alpha Tauri certainly had some pace. But they got that seventh, they'll get the extra money. They'll still get more wind tunnel time than Alpine, Aston Martin, McLaren, etc. And Williams already making confident noises ish about their car for next year. Alex Albon saying that he's driven it in the sim and he felt it was an excellent car uh, so far based on what was from the, what came out of the wind tunnel. So. There's the possibility even that Williams may progress forwards next year and not backwards and could be on for some greater prizes further down the line. Maybe a podium next year. Who knows? We could see, we've seen Alpine on the podium a few times this year, haven't we? Maybe we could yeah. see the... Uh, how many is it? Twice, I think, they got a podium. One for Gasly, one for Ocon. So maybe we could see the yeah, same yeah, from, yeah, from Williams drivers. next year. Maybe, cause maybe we could see the odd podium uh, for them. I don't necessarily think they'll... Jump jump into the Aston Martin McLaren group because that would require them going from scoring twenty eight points this season to getting two hundred plus, and that would be, I guess, not well, impossible. I mean, Aston, Aston Martin did it, didn't they? Yeah, they did. So, but definitely forward progress is on the agenda for for uh, for Williams, which is good to see. We like like we like Williams. They're nice. They're cozy. They're they're old F one, and if we do well, that kind of makes us feel warm inside, doesn't it? <laughs> I think we just root for anyone who's at the back. In an ideal yeah, world, yeah. you would get a complete and perfect rotation of the teams every every ten years. You know, and you're like, ah, oh, you know, next year they'll be at sixth, then eventually they'll be at the top. But I don't know. We we always root for the underdog, and um, don't forget how happy we were when Haas looked like they were going to be at the front for a bit. It is just it, you just can't help it. You just you just want everyone to be doing really well. In a in a perfect world, every team would be fighting for the win at some point in the year. But fortunately, we don't live in a perfect world. And Williams has had to come back from so, so, so far. But to to nail down that seventh place is really important. It's more money. It's potential more sponsorship. And yeah, actually, I agree with you. It's uh, it's the mature option to keep Logan Sargent. Sure, he hasn't been brilliant. He hasn't. But then they admit, and Williams admit that, they brought him in too early and 
I think there was a there was a really interesting conversation with James Vowles when you know he said that they'd brought him in too early and they were going to develop him. And I was like, wow, a a team bringing in a young driver and not just ejecting them. Wow. <laughs> that looks at you, unusual. Red Bull. Um, it, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of unusual. It's a mature and I, I would say reasonable stance uh, because they, you can't expect them to be brilliant out the gates. And yeah, okay. I mean, we were a bit silly about Logan. We said, ah, I said, aha, I think he's going to get two points. <laughs> Look how brilliant I am. And he didn't get any. And it is funny. But realistically, he has come a long way. And this sport is hard. And being a rookie is difficult. Not everyone can be Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen. I mean, dare I put Oscar Piastri in that in that group? But you know, there, there, there are sometimes drivers where they will just be amazing out of the gate and you know especially when we've been so lucky to see the dominance from people like Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen Dr- drivers that you could see the talent a mile off I mean I, t- I was watching some old Top Gear right and um, they yeah. had Lewis Hamilton on and he, it was the year before his championship and you know the fact that he nearly won it and like you could just see the expectation from everyone around him how he was going to be a world champion and yeah okay Logan Sargent might not be that but that's not to say he can't get there and this is the point I think Williams are making with with Logan is is you've got to give him a chance because he might well be that good give him a little bit more time Alex Albon's come on leaps and bounds since his unfortunate collision with Red Bull (laughs) <laughs> yeah. and I mean that in the yeah. sense that he went up to Red Bull and then they threw him out um, he hasn't had any collisions with Red Bulls this year I don't think but um, yeah it, and and now I see Alex Albon as, as a properly strong talented driver that has led a team from the back to seventh so yeah I think it's a really mature thing to do if he's not picking up the pace by the end of next year yes questions will be raised two years is a long time in the sport and Williams want to continue projecting themselves forward and with other other potential talent lying around, then this could be, a, you know, a moment for Williams to, to move on. But yeah, I'm I'm in agreement with you. I just think it's a really nice thing that that they're keeping the drivers. I I do wonder though whether this consistency between year and year is well, there are two elements to it. One is the fact that the the teams want stability, but secondly, potential for new drivers to come in and whether or not there is what the team sees as you know a strong talent waiting in the wings and you know it may well be that that the teams just don't want to risk anything at the moment and there hasn't been anyone to risk it for which i think is a real shame because i um you know it's, it's clearly we've had some excellent pace from people like liam lawson who i think need a seat so if you had to yeah. pick a, t- a a driver which you thought was most at risk to be lost either at some point in the season, we're about to go into 2024 or at the end of next season. Who would it be? I think that it's, prob- it's probably Logan Sargent, if I'm honest, in terms of if we were to look at who's the most under pressure because he's got loads of drivers there. I don't think Sergio Perez is under pressure. I think he gets a year just because unless he really is awful, like he will still get a bit of time or he'll be able to buy himself a bit of time. So I honestly think Sergeant is the next is the one like Joe Guan Yu possibly, but then he's kind of become a bit more solid and reliable. 
than he has been in the past. Yuki Tsunoda would have been a prime candidate for that. But again, I think he's become more solid. I just think, actually, I think that the standard of the grid at the moment is actually very high. I think that even your drivers who are fighting for... There were some great battles in the in the race that we saw in Abu Dhabi. Drivers fighting for 15th, 16th, 17th. And these are all very good drivers who, in another generation, may well have got more of a break and not be fighting for those positions. I just think the the quality of the grid is very strong at the moment and that no driver really is necessarily under pressure. You also have a situation, I was thinking this, because actually what I did uh, the other week is for the first time, probably ever, I actually, well, or at least many years, I tuned into the, to the Formula 2 race, the season finale, because you had the title fight and it was quarter past nine on Sunday morning. I was up and I was like, you know what, why not? And it dawned on me that out of F2, the two drivers used to get a lot of drivers who would win GP2 or F2 in their first year, and that made them a lot more attractive a prospect to be on the grid. So drivers who've won the feeder series in their first year include Lewis Hamilton, Charles Leclerc, George Russell, Oscar Piastri, Nico Rosberg was another one back in the day, um, all uh, Nico Hulkenberg, I think, another one. All drivers who went into F2 first year won it. Okay, but now you've got a lot of drivers like Teo Paulcher, who's the champion. It, that's his third year. It took him to win it. Zhou Guanyu took him three years. He never won it. Um, the driver who won last year was Felipe Drugovic, who's been around with Aston Martin this year. That was his third or fourth year, I think. Um, Frederick Vesti, who was the runner-up this year, that was his uh, second year in F1, uh, in F2. Sorry, the highest driver who was a rookie was Victor Martins, who came fourth, I think, or fifth in the championship. So there's less and less there's less and less drivers who ran that championship where they put in a performance where you, you think, right, I have to pick them. I know Piastri had a year on the sidelines, but he won F3 and F2 in both his first years. He didn't give teams an opportunity to dwell or err on the side of caution. It made, it made Alpine go to court for him, to be honest with you. Um, it made teams look at a driver and go, yes, you are the one. You're the one I want. You are an incredible prospect. Mick Schumacher, for example, won F2 in his second year, I think. And look what's happened to him. He was in for in for two years and now he's out again. So like, it does. I think it does have a big impact on the perception of drivers because you have to be very, very good now to get on the grid. Even Liam Lawson, who had a brilliant cameo, he has not been able to force his way on just yet. The standards is ridiculously high, I think, at the moment, which speaks for volumes of the talent that's on the grid. But um, it also means that arguably there's lots of drivers who aren't necessarily under pressure. And sure, they could string together a few bad results, but there aren't any you look at it other than Sergeant where you go, yeah, they could be replaced any time. Yeah, I mean, that is an excellent point. Very well made. And I think the perfect place to end this week's episode of F1 in Review. And it has been a very exciting season. Our our season of F1 in Review is not quite over yet. We will be back next week to discuss the fallout from the season. An F1 season in review episode, if you like, where we go and take a look at some of our predictions, some of the highs and lows, as well as take a little bit of an insight into 
what may be upcoming in the next year of, of Formula One when hopefully things mix up a little bit. Now, there won't be a race now for, for quite a while, not until we head into the new year. But do come back next week where we'll be going through some of the highlights and perhaps lowlights of the season of 2023. So if you have got to this point, thank you very much for listening. Please do follow us on our social media. We're over there on X, formerly Twitter, we're at F1 in Review. You can also find us on TikTok at F1 in Review as well. So thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you next week.